Yankees Files podcast. We are back. I'm Will Harris. You're Alec Whipple. If the rest of you are anything like me, you're pretty devastated about the trade that sent Gio Urshela and our beloved Gary Sanchez to the Minnesota Twins, but you've spent the last week or so convincing yourself that this roster is capable of winning a World Series. If you're anything like Whipple, you just got back from uh, from Tampa after watching some spring training games, and you probably have some pretty interesting takeaways, but... Um, Whipple, a lot's happened since our last podcast. Obviously, uh, the night before it went up, the Gary, Geo Donaldson, Kiner Falefa, Rortvet trade happened. Uh, I'm sure we'll have reactions to that. Uh, since then, Kyle Schwarber has become a giant. Trevor Story has become a Red Sox. Carlos Correa has become a twin. Danny Duffy has become a Dodger. Jonathan VR has become a Cub. Tommy Pham, I think, is still out there. Michael Conforto is still out there. Uh, Matt Olson has become a Brave and Freddie Freeman a Dodger. I think those were both more recent than our last podcast. There's a lot going on in Major League Baseball, and it's gotten people pretty down about this roster, but I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here. How are you feeling today about this team after getting to react to kind of most of the transactions that have gone through in the last couple weeks and uh, a few games of spring training? I'm feeling pretty good, and I also just want to give my condolences. I think I texted you that night um, of the Gary Sanchez trade, and I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you had seen that something had happened, and I just knew that my first thought was that Will is going to be devastated and I just, your, your text reaction was probably a lot more mundane than your actual reaction. Your text reaction was pretty strong. So I know that, you know, Gary is just such a beloved part of this pod. And I thought your article about him last week was just really, really moving and shows, as I said on Twitter, how baseball is more than just a game. It intersects with what, you know, goes on in our life. It shapes our experiences. And it really is just such an important part of just our day-to-day happenings and you know the things we enjoy so uh i I will give you some time to opine on gary if you wish but um definitely going to be a a tough loss for content for this pod but in terms of uh the actual moves made in the roster i I think i'm definitely more positive than i was uh last week and that's probably because i was just down in florida it's really hard to be pessimistic about baseball and your team when you go down to spring training and watch them But I think I have a little more clarity on everything than I did because I think the post-trade reaction, it wasn't really – it wasn't excitement. It wasn't disappointment. It was more confusion. A lot of people had similar reactions about why those moves were made and what they meant for the team. And now that I've kind of sat with everything, everything settled a little bit, uh, I can't say that this is the preferred off-season path, but – it's a path, the path they took, and I think it does make the team better, especially defensively, which was a big part of last year's issues. Uh, to what extent it was a part of last year's issues, probably some disagreement among fans and analysts, but you can't deny that the 2021 Yankees were uh, defensively challenged in some areas, and they've upgraded in those spots. Uh I'm really excited for Josh Donaldson. That is the biggest takeaway that I have from all of this. 
the Yankees definitively upgraded at third base. Uh, whether you like Gio Urshela or not, you can't deny that a healthy Josh Donaldson is better than Gio Urshela. And they took a big step back at catcher. I think the reverse is true. Whether you really like Ben Rortvat, you can't deny he is a step down offensively from Gary Sanchez. So I guess the question is, um, did they upgrade more defensively everywhere and at third base with the bat and how that, you know, that will shape out for the rest of the lineup? Then they took a step back at catcher. Uh, is the positive going to outweigh the negative? I think it does because I think a healthy Donaldson really can be an impact player. And I think personality-wise, I really like the addition that he provides. He adds an edge that they did not have last year, and we've talked about them getting embarrassed by the Astros, the Rays, the Red Sox over the last few years. Not that Donaldson will change that all on his own, but I think he adds a an element that wasn't there, someone willing to push back a little bit when you know, the complacency aspect might be setting in that we've seen from Boone and some of the other players. So I do like that addition. Um, so overall, I think that that's the question. Do you think that the upgrade at third base um, and shortstop to some extent with Falefa is going to counteract the downgraded catcher offensively uh, because the rest of the lineup stayed the same and the pitching staff is largely the same. And I think that's the other area that fans are hand-wringing over that uh, much like if the, in the past offseason, the Yankees have not made a lot of depth signings and they prefer to go internal with their depth and rely on the guys that they have, which Let's be clear, they have a very talented group of pitchers, but will they hold up over a season? I think that's the question. Yeah, so, I mean, I'll start from where you started there, which is that, uh, you know, Gary Sanchez was a big part of Yankees Files, um, not only with respect to how much of our content was Gary-related, uh, you know, with me driving a lot of that, but also, and I mentioned this in my farewell to Gary Sanchez, which is linked on our show page, um, Gary Sanchez kind of got me back into baseball. Um, you know, when we became friends in 2007, it was, uh, I was a huge baseball fan. It was, you know, kind of, it, it ran my life, basically, and uh, I had been at that point, you know, the first thing I really remember, the first baseball games I remember watching were in the 2001 postseason, uh, so, you know, it had been a significant part of my life to that point, um, and it continued to be, you know, we... Uh, enjoyed the 2009 World Series. Uh, I remember watching games in the 2010 and 12 playoffs with you, at least. Um, but then after that, kind of after Derek Jeter's last game, probably, uh, and even during that 2014 season, I really wasn't watching a ton of baseball. I don't know what it was about my life if it was just that I was busy or that I didn't care or that I had trouble connecting with the team now that it wasn't made up of the guys I had grown up watching um you know for a while I I wasn't really interested and I 
you know, I write in the article about how, you know, Gary made his debut on that 2015 team. He got one pinch hit at bat. Uh, I probably didn't know that game was going on. Uh, I had no idea who he was aside from having seen him on prospect lists in the past. Um, and it wasn't until kind of the middle of 2016, it was actually that, uh, that series against the Giants where the Giants came into town as the best team in baseball. Uh, and Tanaka outdueled Mad Bum, and I was at one of those games, uh, that game actually, where Tanaka outdueled Mad Bum. Uh, and then, you know, a couple weeks after that is when Gary got called up, and then, you know, by early August, I was just so back in. Um, and the feeling that I got from watching him play every day for the last 50 or so games of that year was just awesome. And uh, it reminded me of all the things I loved about watching great baseball players and watching great Yankees teams uh, from when I was a kid. Um, you know, I get into it in the article and people can read it, so I won't rehash everything. But, you know, when I think about my the arc of my Yankees fandom, uh, so much of it at least in, in my adult life, you could say, uh, was influenced by Gary Sanchez. And I don't think that Yankees files would exist. Uh, you know, I, I said on Twitter, you might have done something like this, but I wouldn't have been involved in it. Uh, I don't think that a lot of the relationships I have would be the relationships that they are. Um, I don't know that my life would have panned out in the same way if not for my kind of reinvestment in the Yankees. And that was, you know, almost solely due to Gary Sanchez and the impact that his uh, coming onto the scene had on me. And it's uh, it sounds overstated. I understand. Um, but really, it isn't. And uh you know, it's it's in that way, it's such a shame to see him go because I, you know, it watching Gary Sanchez for the past six years has been a huge part of my life. And, um, you know, it, it makes me reflect on things like, you know, Derek Jeter left and I kind of stopped watching baseball for a little while. Um, and you know, now my favorite player is gone again. And how is that going to affect me? And I think I have a different relationship with baseball today, but, um, you know, it's, it's tough and I wish him the best and I want nothing but success for him in Minnesota, but it's, it is really tough that, uh, you know, he's not going to be behind the plate for the Yankees this year. And I'm, I'm very disappointed, uh, about that. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll wax poetic no longer about Gary. I think you made some interesting points when you were talking about the roster. Um, I got into an extended argument with uh, a friend of mine. Uh, shout out Dom. Um, not the Dom that you know, Whipple. Different Dom. Shout out to the um, Dom that I know as well. <laughs> shout out to the Dom that you know as well, though, who insisted that he could beat Kemba Walker one-on-one -on -one as an eighth grader. Um uh, but I got into an extended argument uh, with Dom about whether this Yankees team, this lineup that we expect to see on the field on opening day, is actually better than the lineup that was on the field last year. 
And as far as I'm concerned, there's no question that this lineup is better. There are positions at which this lineup is worse, without a doubt. Um, they're worse at shortstop, even if they upgraded defensively, and they're worse at catcher, unequivocally. Um, but with that said, uh, we need to put into perspective like who was actually playing on the 2021 Yankees. Um, and this goes beyond things like the fact that Andrew Velasquez started the wild card game or that Rugnet Odor was playing out of position in the wild card game. Rugnet Odor played third base for much of the wild card game. Uh, or that DJ LeMahieu was hurt uh, or any of that. I just want to make one thing very clear. And I tweeted this a little while back. Uh, last year... 22% of the Yankees' plate appearances went to Brett Gardner, Rugnet Odor, Tyler Wade, Mike Ford, Andrew Velasquez, Greg Allen, Chris Gittins, Jay Bruce, Ryan Lamar, Tim Locastro, Rob Brantley, Jonathan Davis, and Trey Ambergi, and they combined for a weighted average OPS of 647. How bad is a 647 OPS? It would be like if the Yankees in every lineup, every single day, just had Max Freed batting twice. That's how bad it is to give 22% of your plate appearances to guys who are going to produce a 647 OPS. So the fact that only one of those guys is on the 40-man roster now is an immediate upgrade. On top of that, Josh Donaldson is a phenomenal hitter. You're getting full seasons of Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo, which is a meaningful difference. Like, the Yankees weren't just in the wildcard game because of the roster that they had on October 1st. The Yankees were in the wildcard game because of all of the Jay Bruce's and Hoy Parks and Mike Ford's and Jonathan Davis's and, you know, so on and so forth who played for them throughout the year. And obviously, health is a massive assumption. But they're going into this season with a better lineup than played most of the time last season. And I think it's important for us to remember that. Um, so I want to make that clear. Are they better at third base? Yes. Um, I'm, I think I'm waiting, uh, having full seasons of Rizzo and Gallo even higher than a lot of other people are. You know, these are two guys who are going to be in the kind of 125 WRC plus range that the Yankees are going to have for entire years, uh, for entire season this year. Um, and these are guys who are occupying positions that were really kind of black holes for the Yankees last year. I mean, you think about the guys who played first base um, with Mike Ford and Chris Gittens and Jay Bruce. You think about guys who played left field, like Miguel Andujar, who I do expect to have a resurgence, but was bad last year, and Clint Frazier, who was bad last year. Like, this team is much more secure than last year's team, in my opinion, if the lineup that we expect is the lineup that we see on opening day. So while it's disappointing to see Isaiah Kiner-Faleva as the starting shortstop, or Kyle Higashioka, who's, like, really bad, and people are going to find out just how bad he is as the everyday catcher, um, like this is going to be a scary lineup to face. There are two guys who any pitcher would love to face, but there are seven who any pitcher would hate to face. And it wasn't often true of last year's lineup that there were seven guys in it that you were worried about. Um, so I, I'm optimistic 
Uh, we can get into some specific transactions that we're disappointed the Yankees did or didn't make, and uh, you know we have plenty of time for that. But um, I'm 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 with you. I think we are seeing an improved team. So we lost Whipple's audio as he was responding to that point that I was making, but we will pick back up as I am preparing to ask him about his specific reactions to the transactions that have gone through this offseason and any that he really wishes the Yankees would have been in on. So, I mean, let's let's be specific about this. The, the shortstop lottery is over, and Marcus Semien, Corey Seager, Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, Andrelton Simmons, Didi Gregorius, none of those guys are Javier Baez, none of those guys are Yankees. Um, it seems like the fire sales for pitching are over. Um, and Frankie Montas, Sean Manaya, Danny Duffy, Clayton Kershaw, Luis Castillo, um, Carlos Rodon, uh, none of those guys are Yankees. Um, Sean Murphy, who was talked about in a lot of trade talks, not a Yankee, uh, Neither of the top two available first basemen, uh, Matt Olson nor Freddie Freeman, are Yankees. Uh, people started talking about Matt Chapman a little bit. He is not a Yankee. Um, the Yankees got Anthony Rizzo, Josh Donaldson, and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and Ben Rortvet. Uh So, of the moves they didn't make... Are there any moves that you're absolutely devastated that they didn't make? I don't think devastated. I would say that I'm disappointed about not getting either a shortstop or first baseman when we did our offseason preview. Um, I identified that I think they needed to upgrade pretty significantly at one of those positions, and I don't think they did that. I didn't see Donaldson coming, so I would say they made an offensive upgrade that I really like in general. Um, I understand why they didn't do the Seager deal. I understand to some extent about the Correa deal. I think people are acting like Correa turned down the deal they got from the Twins with the Yankees, and I don't think it was like that. I wish that they had made more of an effort for someone like a Story or a Semyon or a Baez on that deal. So I, I guess I would say that, you know, the upper tier of shortstops, if they didn't want to go there, I wish they had brought in one of those players because they only cost money and they, you know, money is a lot better than giving up prospects. Apparently not in the Yankees' eyes, but, you know, that's either here nor there. Um, so, you know, I, I was probably most hoping for Trevor Story, and I'm disappointed that they didn't end up adding one of those guys. Um, because I think that really would have rounded out this offseason. Um, you could say, you know, they did upgrade at the corners with Donaldson and bringing back Rizzo. So in instead of getting Olsen or Freeman, and Olsen did cost a pretty big prospect package. So I, I guess I'm okay with them not going there. But yeah, I, so my final answer is that I think one of the shortstops should have been Yankees. And while I understand it wasn't going to be Correa or Seager at their price points, or just the way this offseason unfolded, I wish they had pursued one of the other ones. I think that's fair. Um, I'm 
I really kind of don't know what to think about the shortstop situation. Um, I think it's clear they really believe in Volpe and Peraza, like a lot more than I realized they did. But, you know, Anthony Volpe's 20 years old. Uh, and I'm no Carlos Correa fan, and I am actually happy that the Yankees don't have him. But, and I, I think, you know, critically, we don't know what teams know about his back injury that led to him only getting a three-year deal. So, with all that said, um, if they could have convinced one of the available shortstops to take something like the deal that Correa ended up taking from the Twins, which is a $35 million AAV after Corey Seager got a $32.5 million AAV for 10 years, um, I think they probably should have done it um, because, you know, even if Oswald Peraza is as good as he can possibly be when he comes up in, call it July, which I now expect, um, he's not going to be better than Javier Baez. He's not going to be better than Corey Seager. He's not going to be better than Marcus Semien. And maybe those guys wouldn't have taken similar deals to the one that Correa took because he was the youngest. Um, but it it feels like it's probably a miss. Um, I think the Freeman deal was shockingly affordable. Uh, him not getting $200 million absolutely floored me. And I think it's almost malpractice that the Yankees did not, uh, didn't close that. Um, it, the, the way that Hal has been talking about the financial situation is embarrassing. And, um, I think, uh, you know, we have a lot to be disappointed in, in that respect. Uh, I also, I, I just do want to say about Volpe that it's absolutely, that is the one thing I'm absolutely mad about. I don't even care as much about the financial situation because I hear that talk all the time from ownership. It is ludicrous ludicrous how they're talking about Volpe and what that's doing to his career. I mean, being down in Florida for three days, that's this kid is talked about now as the second coming of Derek Jeter, which is exactly the wrong label to put on a kid who has proved exactly nothing at any sort of level above double A. I mean, he's wearing number 14, which is already setting him up to, you know, be in that upper pantheon of Yankee stars. Like, let's just remember that a year ago, we barely knew who he was. How many prospects have come through, put up a year of uh, above average play in the minor leagues and then not panned out? There's a very good chance that he's not going to be an all-star right off the bat. And the thing is, with these comments, everybody is expecting that because that one, that's what they're being set up to believe. And two, there's nothing else. Like, this is what we're being told is the, you know, free agent acquisition substitute. So, yeah, if you're a fan, why wouldn't you be, why, why wouldn't you believe that? Because otherwise you're going to be upset that you your team didn't sign any players. Like, instead of signing a Carlos Carrera or Trevor Story, this is what Hal Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman want us to focus on instead. And imagine the pressure that is on Anthony Volpe now. Where I was by the back fences in Florida, and... He got a honestly, he got a bigger crowd asking for autographs than Anthony Rizzo, which, you know, he like he's going to be a good player, I'm sure. But if he's, you know, if he's at all mediocre, if he's not Gary Sanchez level when he comes up, 
there's going to be so much disappointment. I think it's terrible for his development and just not the way that these things should be approached. I mean, if he's great, great. Like that's, that's an added bonus. That is someone you can build your franchise around, but to put that kind of expectation on him coming up before he's even played a major league game, I think it's just malpractice for how you should handle these things. And it's going to backfire. I can almost guarantee you because even if he's good, they're going to be people upset that he's not better. And the odds that he is good enough to justify expectations right off the bat are very, very low. And it's just a terrible way to team build. I mean, it's a terrible way to, you know, when Aaron Judge came up, people did not expect him to be an MVP in his first year. And, you know, if he if, if they expected that and he provided, that's the only way that those expectations were going to be met. What, wasn't it better when we didn't expect that and actually happened? And, you know, the trajectory of this team rapidly improved and people's expectations were exceeded. I think the problem with everything now is that the expectations are so high based on, you know, what happened in 2017 and 2016 with Gary and Aaron that people are only being set up for disappointment and Anthony Volpe is honestly more likely to bust out than he is to meet those expectations. I am really stunned that this is how things are being approached by the front office. Let's be honest with ourselves though. This is not an unusual way for a top 10 prospect in baseball to be talked about. It's not. Um, but don't you think this was different than when we had Glaber coming up? Not really. I mean, it. people were clamoring for Glaber to come up and switch positions in 2017 as a 20-year-old um, when Chase Headley was struggling. And if he hadn't hurt his elbow sliding into home in a minor league game and gotten, I think it was Tommy John, it probably would have happened. Um you know, this is this is not at all an uncommon way for a top 10 prospect in baseball to be treated. And it's not at all an uncommon way for, uh, you know, the, the expectations that are being put on him are not out of the ordinary for how fan bases and teams tend to treat their top 10 prospects. And not every top 10 prospect turns out to be Wander Franco or Juan Soto or Bryce Harper, um, but I, I look. I I understand what you're saying that the expectations might be unfair. I think you know being the shortstop for the New York Yankees is a huge job, and one of the greatest players in the history of baseball uh, vacated it pretty recently. And uh, those comparisons are going to be there. You know, Derek Jeter was born in New Jersey. Anthony Volpe's from New Jersey. Um, you know that he's never going to escape that, uh, but and I I agree that it may be irresponsible, as I said, to, uh, you know, build the future of the team around a twenty-year-old in this way when, uh, you know, there were apparently short-term options available, uh, at least you know to to tide us over until he's at a major league ready age, but. Look, like, let's be very, very honest. This is not weird. It's not. This is how top 10 prospects in the game of baseball get treated. And to act like we are doing Anthony Volpe, the first round draft pick by the Yankees, uh, the best player in minor league baseball 
last year probably a disservice by acting like someday he should be a new major leaguer or a good major leaguer. I just don't really buy it. I see what you're saying, but Aaron Judge was not the number eight prospect in Major League Baseball. Anthony Volpe is, and the expectations are different as a result. Yeah, I I think those are fair points. I guess it just unsettles me that he's almost being talked about like he should be helping the team right now when he's in the minor leagues. And I think the team right now is in a different position than it was when Glaber was coming up, when it was, you know, there was more space to grow, you know, to build around a young core and there wasn't such urgency. Uh, I think part of it is probably the frustrations and the looming urgency to win after, you know, they've hit the kind of spun their wheels and not progressed in the playoffs in the last few years. But you are right. I mean, this is what happens. Um, I I think it's my personal opinion that this shouldn't be what happens, but especially as we, you know, enter in the last five to 10 years, the age of, uh, you know, teams tanking and rebuilding and trying to build around prospects to save money and, you know, what the Yankees did in 2017 um, following in the footsteps of, the Astros and the Cubs to some extent who popularized it being more of a commonplace thing that, yeah, this is probably, you know, the more common than maybe I'm feeling. Um, But it it just, I guess it does seem weird to me that, you know, Anthony Volpe's presence is almost looked at as an asset to the 2022 opening day Yankees, which it's not it. Like I would love it to impact the team at some point this year, I would love it to impact the team in 2023, but I feel like you can't realistically count on it until 2024. And let's hope that, you know, that's the case. I mean, these things can change on a dime, but in how it relates to the free agent market, it's frustrating that it was used as an excuse to not bolster the current team. Because I think if they had signed a guy, like you said, to a short-term deal, and then also said, we really like Volpe and we're going to do everything we can to get him up and he's going to be an impact player. Yeah, that that's fine. But to to not spend money and then say like this guy in the minor leagues who's really good will help us now, but he's also not going to help be able to help us realistically until next year. It's it just doesn't it doesn't all make sense to me. But I don't think the yeah. Yankees really care about that. Yeah, no, and th- and that bothers me too. And it bothers me that they didn't sign someone who then allowed them to include Peraza in a package for a Matt Olson or a pitcher or Sean Murphy or whomever. Um, I totally agree with that, but I just think, like, we should... It's been a while since the Yankees have had, you know, a top prospect in baseball, but, like, I, I'm i not even sure the expectations for Anthony Volpe are as high as they were for Jabba Chamberlain. Like, you know, if we're, if we're talking about people having unrealistic pressure put on them, but... I think it's probably time for us to dive into the guys. Actually, sorry. One quick thing I do want to say is that I do find it interesting how Peraza and Volpe are being put together as a package because Volpe is clearly better than Peraza. Mm -hmm. So that is one thing that might, you know, be a little different than, you know, Peraza actually probably, if he played a different position, he probably would be a little better off. But I think he's getting lumped into the shortstop prospect that goes along with Volpe. So yeah, I, I think the takeaway is that, you know, there's no right way to handle it. And these things have happened before, like you said, with Java, but it probably is not the best idea to pin the hopes of, you know, the 2022 Yankees on a guy who probably won't play much for them. And I think the other thing that's going on is like there's a trade off 
with Peraza and Volpe between talent and major league readiness. So while Volpe is the better player, like Peraza is going to play this year. Um, Mm -hmm. And he is a top 100 prospect and he's a top prospect organizationally. Like I, I, they're, they're getting lumped together by playing the same position, but they're also like relevant to this team in different ways. Um, But with respect to the guys who are going to be on this team, uh, I was looking because I'm now just a Ryan Garcia reply guy. Um, I was looking at some projections and uh, I'm I'm very enthused. Uh, Steamer has Anthony Rizzo posting a 128 uh, WRC plus in 136 game this, games this year. Uh, Steamer has Glaber Torres posting a 118 WRC plus uh, up from 94 last year and 106 the prior year in 146 games. Uh, Steamer has DJ LeMahieu. In just 105 games, uh, so basically playing that super sub role uh, at 114 WRC+, plus, up from 100 last year. Josh Donaldson, the Bat X, is the biggest fan of Josh Donaldson, although Steamer agrees. Uh, putting him right around 130 games and at a 131 WRC+. Plus. Uh, the Bat loves Joey Gallo, putting him all the way at a 135 WRC+. Plus in 143 games and finally Aaron Hicks is projected by Steamer to have as high as a 112 WRC plus in 126 games um and those are kind of you know I know that's a majority of the team but I'm not really worried about shortstop and catcher I think any offensive production we get out of those positions is gravy um and we know what we're going to get from Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton if they're healthy because the kind of regression that hit a lot of guys last year didn't hit them. Um, but those guys I just ran through, uh, Rizzo, Glaber, DJ, Donaldson, Gallo, Hicks, uh, I think are going to be really key. And if I had to key in on uh, just a few of those guys, I think it's Hicks, Glaber, and DJ who are going to be the most critical to this team's offensive success. I think, you know, Hicks and Gallo, because they're just on base machines, their production is pretty sustainable. Um, Rizzo, you know, there's just Rizzo and Donaldson both. There's just a large enough body of work there that uh, I think we generally know what we're getting from them. I think Rizzo's going to get a little stadium bump. Um, and Donaldson, you know, we know who he is at this point, if he can stay healthy. Uh, Glaber, DJ, and to a lesser extent Hicks, although as I mentioned, his production is not as uh, variable. Um, Glaber and DJ, these are the guys that I'm really kind of counting on. Uh, we saw how much it affected the lineup last year when they were struggling, and we saw how much their kind of late season improvements helped the lineup. Um, And I really think that those guys can add a dimension where it is like seven guys you really don't want to face or, you know, they are the sixth or seventh guy on one of those days. Uh, Whereas if they're not good and Hicks is hurt and you just have to get through Donaldson, Judge, Gallo, and Stanton or Donaldson, Judge, Gallo, and Rizzo or whatever it might be, like... That really changes the complexion of things. So 
Um, you know, those are the guys that I think the Yankees really need to have good seasons this year uh, in order for the team to be good. And I'm enthused by the projections that I'm seeing for them. Where are you at with how you see this lineup coming together? Who you think we should be kind of keying in on? Uh, who are going to be kind of the the guys whose performance you think can have the biggest impact on the team this year? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I started to mention a bit earlier, but the bottom really fell out last year when you had the guy who finished top three in MVP voting turn into a singles and ground out machine and the guy who had 38 home runs as a 21-year-old turn into, you know, a, a low-power... Basically, Glaber didn't really do anything well for the first few months of last year. I, yeah, I think Hicks being on the field really helps, but the Yankees do have the outfield depth to probably cover if he gets injured. I think Glaber and DJ are the two guys that are going to make this lineup click. Um, I also think that, you know, Judge and Stan being healthy is really important because last year we know what they can do when they're on the field. Just the question is, are they going to stay healthy? Um, I'm more worried about Stan than Judge just because Judge's injuries haven't They've been more fluky injuries with the rib, uh, mostly, and getting hit by a pitch, whereas Stanton um, in previous years had, you know, the muscle strain issues. But I'm less worried about them. I think that, um, you know, when they're on the field, they're going to hit, and I would like to hope that they're going to be on the field. But as I was saying before, you know, Glaber and DJ in 2021 basically had their worst-case scenarios for most of the year, and... If you want to go ahead and think that's going to happen again, then yeah, like the two of the guys that you're building this team around being absolutely terrible is going to tank any offense. There's nothing you can do to counteract that. The Yankees have put their eggs in the Glaber and DJ basket, and they're going to continue to do so. And I think that that's, you know, it's foolish to keep projecting or keep thinking that the worst case scenario is going to continue into 2022. Glaber and DJ are talented players. Glaber in particular has looked a lot better this spring in just a few games. And even if they don't achieve their 2019 or 2020 levels in DJ's case, getting somewhat back to that point and making somewhat some improvements and, you know, because they're major league players who have a history of success and didn't do well last year, you know, they're going to be working hard to, uh, or they've worked hard this offseason to hopefully figure out, you know, what went wrong, how to fix it. We did see, as you said, some improvements at the end of last year. I think that if those two guys can click, you know, you now have power from the middle infield position and you have a guy who's, you know, almost a 300 hitter, hopefully above a 300 hitter if DJ is playing at his best um, at the top of the lineup. I mean, that's a dimension of this team that can really help fill out the the guys in the middle middle who can mash. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't say anything different. Uh, as long as the other guys stay healthy, I think it's really going to come down to can those up-the-middle players in Glaber, DJ, and Hicks hit as they have the potential to and as projections like them to. Because the Yankees play really well in the corners, but um, I, I don't even know where this came from, that people say, you know, a, a, a team needs to be good up-the-middle, and that's the success of a team can be judged by their up-the-middle positions. I don't know how, where that comes from or how much stock I put into that. That's definitely a baseball saying. Uh, but I do think for this Yankees team, it's really going to come down to can those up the middle positions provide the value that they're capable of. Yeah, I think I agree. I don't know where that up the middle thing came from. I think that, you know, the Braves just won the World Series uh, 
in spite of the fact that uh, Ronald Acuna, who might be, you know, who's a top five player in baseball, should have been up the middle for them and wasn't, and they won it largely on the strength of Jorge Soler, Jock Peterson, Freddie Freeman, and Austin Riley, none of whom are up the middle, but, you know, whatever you say, baseball wisdom. Um, so, you know, to to the points that we just made, uh, Fangraphs has uh, projected standings out, um, and nobody is projected to be as good as the Dodgers were last year. Uh, the Dodgers are still projected to be the best team in baseball. Um, with a 94 and 68 record, uh, followed by the Blue Jays at 93 and 69, the Braves at 92 and 70, and the Yankees at 91 and 71. So Fangraphs right now has the Yankees finishing two games behind the Blue Jays. Uh, the next AL East team is the Red Sox at 87 and 75, which would be four games behind the Yankees. The Rays at 86 and 76, five games behind the Yankees. So uh, this is interesting because it's probably not how I would have uh, projected out the AL East. Um, but one thing to add uh, Fangraphs also has the Yankees with the second most batting war in the majors, the most in the AL, and also has them leading the majors in pitching war and also in war, period. So this team, as constructed, should be very good, uh, is, is something that I've kind of uh, gotten on board with in the last couple of weeks. And I'm interested in your reactions to these projections and sort of how you would handicap uh, the not only the AL East, but uh, the American League, period. Um, needless to say, from the list I just read, uh, the Yankees would have the second best record in the American League, despite not winning the division per fan graphs right now. Yeah, I think this whole podcast is reinforced, uh, or I hope it's reinforced for people just how good of a team this can be and we've talked a lot about the lineup but we really haven't talked about the pitching staff today mostly because there haven't been any moves made in that area but let's not forget how good the Yankees pitching staff is even if they don't acquire another starter they have an excellent rotation that performed really well last year which you know probably the best the Yankees rotation has performed in a long time and the bullpen which I think is top to bottom probably the strength of this team based on just how guys did last year and how we're projecting them to do this year. And so feed that into, you know, what, you know, everything we've talked about with this lineup and how we think it's improved, you know, all the hand wringing is really being done over a team that is very, very good. I think the 2020 and 2021 seasons have left a taste in people's mouth where, you know, even if they're, if the projection showed that the Yankees are good, there's hesitancy, there's doubt. There's a feeling that there's going to be underperformance, but that's not how this works. You just as you can't assume that teams will overperform their projections, you can't assume they will underperform them too. Uh, even though the projections aren't always going to be entirely accurate at the end, they aren't just numbers picked from thin air. There's actual work that goes into them, and they actually, you know, are, they're done based on calculations. And there's um, there's real insights you can take from them, even if the Yankees won't match up to the record entirely. So how do I feel about the rest of the AL East? Um, 
I'm always going to give the benefit of the doubt to the Rays, to be honest. I have a hard time doubting them at this point. I'd love to be proven wrong. Um, in fact, that's really what I want most in this upcoming baseball season is to be proven wrong about the Rays. Um, and I also do think that I would project the Blue Jays lower than they're projected just based on the fact that I don't believe the pitching staff is as strong as people are making it out to be. Um, UC Kikuchi is a good pitcher, but he's not their rotation savior that combined with Kevin Gosman um, is going to you know lift the Blue Jays out of their pitching malaise. And their bullpen kind of sucks. And they lost the Cy Young Award winner. But that lineup is really going to hit. Uh, when I was in Dunedin yesterday, basically saw the full complement of Blue Jays hitters being run out against Jordan Montgomery. And it is spring training, and Montgomery did say he was working on primarily fastballs, not reason to put stock in the results. But these guys, everybody was hitting the ball hard. I mean, top to bottom, it is a really good lineup. So I think that I'd be worried about them, but, you know, as a in terms of teams team completeness, I would still take the Yankees over them, and I definitely take the Yankees over the Red Sox because I think the Yankees in all aspects of their team are better than the Red Sox. So, based on my own internal projections, that really are just me being doubtful that the Rays are going to perform that poorly. Uh, I would have the Yankees slightly ahead of the Blue Jays and slightly behind the Rays, and definitively ahead of the Red Sox. I think it's four really good teams that are all going to be competitive. And I think any one of them, I wouldn't be surprised if they won the division. But for people anointing the Blue Jays as the next AL powerhouse, you still have to pitch too. Hitting is not the only part of the game. And when the Yankees are at their best, they can do that as well as the Blue Jays. So I, I think it's pretty reasonable to feel like the Yankees are a better team than the Blue Jays at this point. I mean, the Yankees, the Blue Jays last year were a fourth place team. People forget. They were in fourth place. Yeah, the Blue Jays kind of have like the 2004 Yankees thing going on where like, yeah, congratulations on having the best lineup in the world. But like you're still starting Javier Vasquez and Esteban Loaiza in 40 percent of your games. Like, sure, the, the Blue Jays have a terrific lineup. But like, I mean, to your point, like. We don't. I still think we don't know what Alec Manoa is. We know what Yusei Kikuchi is. He's not that good. Um, you know, who knows what you're going to get from Ryu. Uh, they lost the Cy Young winner. Even with the Cy Young winner and Marcus Simeon, they were a fourth-place team. Um, so, yeah, I, I, under, I completely agree. I don't understand the love affair with the Blue Jays. Um the Red Sox, the Red Sox have a really good infield, I guess, but um, you know, for Yankees fans who love to harp on defense, like the left side of their infield defensively is pretty bad. Bobby Dahlbeck's nothing special. Trevor Story's playing out of position. Jackie Bradley Jr., who hit like 145 last year with a OPS in the fours, I think, maybe in the fives if he's lucky, uh, is going to be playing the outfield for them every day. Um. And they still have to pitch. I mean, Chris Sale is hurt, uh, and they don't really have a rotation outside of Nathan Avaldi, and we know they don't have a bullpen. Um, well, they're actually they're actually going to get better there because they don't have Ottavino this year. So <laughs> that's a great point. Uh, but more of those innings are going to go to Matt Barnes if the Yankees destroy him. Um, and then look like the Rays, good team, yes, completely, but. Um, like, 
I I do want to say that like at some point you need like real guys. No, I've given up with the no. Don't no, need no, guys. no. <laughs> they can do they can do whatever. I this is the year that I've given up. They they'll figure no, it out. No, I'm 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 more in it this year than I have been before. Like Wander Franco gonna be incredible, but. Like, look at the teams that win the World Series. They don't win the World Series with Wander Franco, Austin Meadows, and Brandon Lau. They don't do it. And the Rays haven't won the World Series. I mean, the Rays have won one pennant in the last... since 2008. And it was in a 60-game season. Like, we can take the Rays as seriously as you want, but the Rays, when it comes time to win stuff, don't win stuff. And... I think, you know, what we also have to take into account with the Rays is they don't have glass now. Uh, Shane Boz just got shut down. Like, who, realistically, who is in the Rays starting rotation? And can they handle the innings that they're going to be asked to handle? Like, are Shane McClanahan and Drew Rasmussen and Luis Patino and whoever else they're going to put out there pretty good? Yeah. I mean, I think also Patino might have an injury as oh, well. Oh, that, that could certainly be the case. So, like, you know, at that point, you're getting into, like, you know, that team also has to pitch. Uh, so, look, I, I, I'm i not going to say the Yankees are going to run away with the division. I don't think that. But um, the people who are resigned to the Yankees being a fourth-place team and convinced that the Rays, Blue Jays, and Red Sox are all meaningfully better, uh, those people are wrong. And um, I am excited for those people to see just how wrong they are. Yeah, uh, the Rays have broken me, as you can tell. Um, but no, I, I think the Yankees are, de- they're definitely not a fourth place team. They're, I'm pretty sure they're not going to be a third place team. And I think it's going to be a fight to see who can finish in the top two. I think we have to look at this a little differently. The Yankees, you know, should be gunning for the AL East, but um there are three wild card spots now, so you know the the playoff picture is a little bit different than we've 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 been used to seeing. So it really needs to be you need to be in the top two at least in the division. But the Yankees are good enough to win the whole division. They just need to what they need to do this year is play better against interdivisional opponents. And I think that the or I hope that the series against Toronto and against Boston at the end of the year is more of a sign of what's to come. Because as I said earlier in the pod. That was the first time all year that the Yankees had been in a must-win game against divisional opponents, and on the road, no less, and actually you know, put together some good performances with their backs to the wall, push back. And they need to do that right from the jump this year because that really hurt them last year. All those games getting swept by Toronto Yankee Stadium, all the Fenway losses, all the Rays sweeps in April and May, that dinged their record. They played really well against every single team that wasn't in their division. So, you know, that that's honestly might be the key this year. Um, you can beat up on Chicago and Houston all you want, but in the games against Toronto, Boston, and Tampa, they have to be prepared to come with their best. Couldn't agree more, and I think that's a good place for us to wrap up. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a fight in the AL East all year, and that's all we can ask for, and I think it's honestly pretty exciting. So, um, Whipple, I know you have uh, an article that's going to be coming out in the coming days, kind of reflecting on, uh, you know, the offseason, some moves that were made, some moves that weren't made, Yankees' historic payroll uh, and, you know, or historical payroll, rather. I wish they had a st- historic payroll. Um, 
and you know how we should be reading into that and how they tend to make moves. I obviously have our farewell to Gary Sanchez up there that will be linked on the show page. Um, we're really excited about this team. I, uh, I, I'm just so glad that baseball is back and I'm ready to watch this team mash and win some games. And, uh, I'm going to be at game two of the year. I'll hope to see some of you at Yankee stadium. Um, and I'm going to keep enjoying watching spring training for the next couple weeks until that happens. Uh, any parting shots from you? Yeah, just one quick plug since I was down in Tampa. I will say that everybody who is ever thinking about going to see spring training, you absolutely should go. It's an absolute blast. Spent three days down there, had the time of my life, got tons of autographs from Ryan Lamar, David Freitas, Oswaldo Cabrera, Everson Pereira. Got to meet some of the guys. Uh, Volpe, Rizzo, Willie Randolph were some of the guys I saw in the backfields. Uh, you know, if you want to learn more about my experience there, you can check out our Twitter account. I posted a bunch of pictures shared my thoughts, um, but just wanted to put a plug in. It, it's just, it's an unbelievable experience. It's the closest you're probably gonna get to a lot of the guys you watch on TV every day. And it's just really fun to sit in warm weather and watch baseball games that really don't have any meaning uh, whatsoever. You know, all these games we discuss on the podcast are so important and, uh, you know, every game is, you know, a part of the regular season is, is so intense and, there's hand wringing about moves and you know what what should have been done, what shouldn't have been done, where the Yankees are in the standings. But just going down and watching exhibition baseball is it makes you realize what you like about baseball. That's not just winning and losing. And I think that it's really important for any Yankees fan to you know if you want to just explore your own relationship with baseball and get some warm weather. Plus, you get to see some cool things that don't happen. Um, just one thing that I saw yesterday, Jordan Montgomery was pulled in the first inning against Toronto and then got to come back out in the second inning, um, because he, you know, wanted to, they wanted to get in some more pitches. So if you want to see some weird baseball for absolutely no reason, and like I said, some, some good stadiums, some warm weather, go to spring training, you won't regret it. Um, and yeah, I had a good time. Oh, actually one more thing that I want to hear from you, uh, what player were you most impressed with? Uh, something you saw in a game, something you saw in a backfield. Um, wh who's one guy that maybe you didn't expect would be as impressive as he was? Uh, well, we talked a little bit about Glaber. Um, it was definitely good to see him put up, you know, he had some good at-bats, looked good in the field. Um, I would say, of, you know, of the regular guys, Tyon was really impressive. I mean, it was his first start of the year. We thought he was going to be injured, and we didn't think he was going to pitch until May. And he came out, looked really sharp, had all his pitches going, struck out Harper. Um, Nestor came in after him and also looked impressive. But I was just, I was kind of shocked how good Tyon looked, especially because Severino Montgomery did not look that good, which was honestly more of what I was expecting. So Tyon was definitely, I'd say Tyon on the pitching side and, and Glaber on the hitting side were the two guys that really, really stuck out to me as guys that looked ahead of what I was expecting from them. Well, those are two guys who I'm psyched to see be huge contributors to this team this year. Uh, well, Whipple, we went about an hour. Uh, I'm sure we have a lot more to say, and we'll be back to say that stuff soon uh, as we continue to approach opening day. Um, until then, people can keep up with us on yankeesfiles.com. They can keep up with us on Twitter at yankeesfiles. They can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And um, I just can't wait for there to be baseball. But until then, let's go Yankees.